Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today our guest is Peter Lankin. Peter is one of the most recognized individuals in the equipment hire and rental industry, being recognized with awards such as the Distinguished Service Award from the American Rental Association, a life member of the Hire and Rental Industry Association, and the Order of Medal of Australia in the Queen's Birthday Honours for his significant service to the equipment hire and rental industry and the community. Peter is also a non-executive chairman on various boards and was the managing director at GK in Australia and eventually the, the chief executive officer at Canards Hire. That was a bit of a mouthful, but Peter, welcome to the podcast. Can you please kick things off by talking about how you got into the hire and rental industry? Well, I guess I've been in the industry. It's been my career job. I started off... Um, after coming out of university in about 76. And I had a, a job for about one year with what was then the Department of Main Roads. They're now their RTA. We were building um, the sort of road structures down at Darling Harbour. And uh, we, we were sort of doing formwork and scaffolding sort of work down there. And I, uh, I was dealing with a guy from GKN, a sales guy, who said, hey, you know, you'd be really good to come into our company. Uh, they're looking for a young engineer in the engineering department why don't you go and talk to them? And I did, and that was really the start of my career in rental. Um, I got a job with GKN initially and worked in their design office and sort of progressed through there. 18 years with that company, um, obviously predominantly in the early days in scaffolding and formwork hire, but later on in general equipment hire, we had a company called Portacom, which was portable buildings. We also were hiring uh, access equipment, scissors and boom lifts. So it, it really got me involved in, in lots of facets of hire during that 18 years with, with GKN. And so can you talk a little bit about some of the roles that you had over those 18 years when you were at GKN? Yeah, look, it, it was, um, that, that 18 years was very formative in my career. Um, as I said, I was a young civil engineer going into the company but they gave me exposure to, to all facets of the business. So um, I was fortunate to be able to work in, uh, in most states of Australia. We, we went down to Melbourne and I was working on a large formwork project down there. We then went across to Perth and the, the project in Perth was the Perth District Law Courts project. I then got my first branch management, manager's role with GKN and that was down in Port Kembla. And we were doing all the scaffolding hire and the, the labour contracting inside BHP. Uh, my next job from memory, I think we went to Singapore. Um, my family and I, and we worked in Singapore for two years. Um, and I was uh, running a scaffold business over there for GKN in Singapore. Back to Australia and uh, I had a year in Brisbane, um, running a branch in Brisbane for the company. Then back to New South Wales, um, and I was the what they called then the central manager of GKN, and we were we I was looking after all the branches in New South Wales and the ACT, and I think there were about ten or twelve locations at the time. And at this stage, I'm still sort of in my mid twenties. Um, the company then um, entered into General Equipment Hire, we bought a company called Macro Rental um, and they put me into that business as the first general manager of their new hire business and that was really where I first fell in love with the general hire part of, part of the game. Um, the next stage was off to California uh, in America. My family and I had four years in California 
and we, my job there was to set up uh, initially through acquisition and then grow a, a, a rental business in Southern California. And we did that and we were able to create about a $50 million sort of US turnover business there. Then back to Australia and I had the, the, the primary role in Australia, I was made managing director of GK in Australia. So that was the country manager for that company. And that got me through about 18 years with GK in. So it was a, a pretty sort of full career. And by this stage, um, by the time I'd finished with GK in, I was 39 years of age. So um, still, still young enough to keep having a swing. Wow, you must have learned so much about the different ways that hire and rental is managed and just really added to your life experience by working in so many different locations, especially Southern California, which is where really equipment rental was born, I, I believe. I did. I learned a lot in Southern California. I mean, really, the whole industry had its genesis in, in America. It's um, I think when you interviewed Andy, he sort of uh, spoke to you about how much he learned from America from some of the, the real professors of the industry over there. And, uh, and look, I, I found the same. I found that um, you learned a lot. You, you also learned some stuff you didn't want to do, you didn't want to bring home. But uh, look, I, I was very fortunate with GK and they looked after me as a young, a young guy. They educated me. They gave me, you know, great experience. And, um, you know, it was, it was a really, really solid part of my career. Yeah, I can imagine. And so how did you become associated with Kennard's Hire and, and Andy Kennard then? Okay, well, Andy and I got to know each other <clears throat> during my time at GKN. And uh, in fact, we, we did a small transaction. My, my, my last couple of years at GK, GKN, my role was to, to divest of all of the businesses in Australia and actually help them divest some businesses in America as well uh, as a company. And GKN is a large British public company, and um, they wanted to get out of building services worldwide. So, uh, so my my final role there was to basically sell the farm, and uh, so I did a deal with Andy, and we sort of uh, initially did a swap of um, some rental branches in GKN, and and he swapped in some access assets, some sizzle lifts, some boom lifts, which I put together with GKN's business, and then I sold that to Brambles, but. Um, I guess the, the real um, the, the real clincher came when um, Andy uh, and I did a deal to to basically sell the, the balance of GKN rentals into Kennards, and, um, and that was the point where I decided um, it would be a great opportunity to me to to join Kennards. Um, you know, I've always um, said that, that out of all of the the hiring businesses, the general equipment rental business is the one that I love the most. Yeah, so Andy gave me that opportunity in uh, 1994. I went in and the first year was a sort of a getting to know each other role. Um, I sort of worked very closely with Andy. I guess he wanted to make sure that I was made of the right stuff and uh, but then took over as uh, managing director of the Ken Arts Group, which at that time was still quite a small business. I think that, um, you know, we, we even when we put GKN and Kennards together, we were employing just over 100 people, but um, but really I could see the great the great opportunities in that company, and uh, and thankfully um, I guess the rest is a bit of history. What we've been able to create there um, has been a lot of fun. Only 100 employees. That, that Kennards High would have been a completely different organisation. I, I think Kennards has got 17, 1800 employees now. 
yeah, I think we've got about 1,800 and we've got 200 locations. So I think back then, even putting GKN together, it was like either 29 or 30 locations. It was a very small business. I mean, my office was a Portacom shed. Um, you know, we didn't have computers. We, you know, the the technology was very rudimentary, and um, you know, it was it was a, a little business that um, that had great great dreams, I guess, at that at that point. Yeah, I really want to dive a little bit deeper into that that growth within Kenuts High because when you were the CEO for a period of time, like you brought on an additional seventy locations, and and when I did interview Andy Kennard on the podcast, he really he did mention that you were a, a big factor in in being able to achieve that growth. Can you talk me through that growth period and, and sort of how you sort of manage that? Okay, well, I guess the first thing is. You know, my my sort of interpretation of where the industry was at that stage, I mean, there was no company nationally represented. In other words, there was no Kennards hire throughout all of the capital cities in Australia. No one had that sort of footprint. So I saw that there was an opportunity to, to really take the Kennards brand and to develop a network of branches right around Australia if we were to be successful. So that... That was the vision, and I guess then it came to the implementation, and that was about, I guess, primarily in in the early stages, a very much acquisition-led strategy. So um, we identified who were the the likely candidates to be able to bring into the Kennards Group to rebrand the businesses, to Kennardise the, the the businesses, and to to grow the network that way. So, you know, we we've been very fortunate to have. Um, have brought into the into the Kennards fold some of the icons of uh, the Australian industry. We we um, we went into Adelaide with Richard, Richard and John Stevens' business, and that got us into Melbourne as well with the hire. We bought a business in Queen, Queensland called Jonkers Hire, and yeah, look, I, I think the company's done close to 100 acquisitions in the last sort of 20 25 years. Um, as well as opening up a bunch of greenfield sites. So yeah, that, that was the sort of the vision. And um, but you know, to get the vision right, you've got to have the business ingredients right as well. You've got to you've got to have the business model that can be replicated and um, you can get into a, a lot of trouble if you haven't got haven't got the basics um, in, in order. And that sort of leads into my next question, which is like when you are going through this hyper growth, whether it be through acquisition or organically. Like, what are some of the challenges that you were up against? Like, whether it be a people thing or a brand, or whether it be, as you mentioned, like replicating the processes amongst the the new locations that you're bringing on board, and how you sort of overcome those challenges as well. Well, you're right, um, <clears throat> Mark. There were lots of challenges. I mean, the first big challenge was how quickly can you grow, and, and certainly. In, in the early stages and probably throughout my career with Kennards, I, Andy was always that sort of calming influence to make sure that I didn't uh, I didn't run the thing into overdrive. You know, it was sort of like uh, Andy and I are a little bit different in this respect in that, you know, he, he's never been the sort of, you know, I want a big business. His, his mantra has always been I want the best business, not the biggest business. Um, I guess my belief was that, if you have the best business, you're probably going to have the biggest business because they sort of go together. Um, but, you know, we could only run it so fast. Um, and, and one of the first constraints was cash. I mean, you know, you again, we, we've always had a very, very, um, I guess, modest approach to how much 
leverage you put into the business. We've, we've, we've been conservative with debt. So to be able to grow the business, I had to make sure that every step we took was profitable, was successful, so that the cash could then go into the next venture. So that was, that was the, the first thing, how do you fund it? And we funded predominantly all of that growth out of the cash flow of the business, which in itself is quite a remarkable story, okay? The second thing is people, and obviously, you know, you start with 100 people, you end up with 1,800 people, you've got an enormous resourcing issue that you've got to deal with. And that, that was about training, it was about setting a, a culture that would work with you through all the years. It's creating the values of the company that the people believe in. It's putting training processes in, and, and I was a big one on, on customer service training. We, we implemented a program called Raving Fans um, and made sure all of our people were, were really taken through that. It's getting in an equipment business. You've got to be all over your equipment. You've got to have people with deep and, and, and great knowledge about equipment. So, you know, the, the people, the training, the recruitment, all of that people and, and the leadership elements that go with it were vitally important. And um, I guess the third thing is um, just making sure that you've got a sound strategy, that you're going to the right places, you're investing in the right things, you've got the right business partners you're working with, you know, lots of sort of really sort of fundamental business principles go into, you know, growing a business and being successful doing that. And and with that strategy, like I think from from looking on the outside, when I see Kennard's High, like I I think the reflection of their employees is the the values that are I guess passed down from the management team and, and Whenever you walk into a Kenatai store, it's like oh, it's just so friendly, and they're always wanting to help you and and deliver on what they can say. And and can you talk a little bit about those those values? Look, I think we have we've got we've got the nicest people. I think that's a, a good way of saying. It. I think we've got the best people as well. I think we've um, we've got people who really believe in the company's values. They believe in our vision. Um, you know, it's, it, it is really fair income and that's one of our values. Our, our people believe that they're working for a company that is a great place to work. And, um, and look, we, we've, we've made sure that whatever leadership comes into the business really speaks those values as well. That, you know, I mean, the, the, the way you have successful company companies is to have great people. They, that's, that's actually what a company is. It's not a whole bunch of assets. I mean, anyone can go and buy the equipment, anyone can go and find, you know, real estate and open a branch up. But what sets Kennards aside, I think, is um, is the quality of our folk. They're, they're really great. And look, I've been, I've been so fortunate with um, with having so many great people work with me over a long period of time. We, we've got people who have been with us for over 50 years. I mean, Mark Zimmer, I think you probably know Mark, he's only just retired. He was with us for over 50 years. We've got a bunch of people that have worked with us for 30, 35 years. I mean, it is really quite quite remarkable when you think about it. Yeah, well, I think it just really talks to the the culture that's really brewed there, and and the the basics of of building up a successful business. So, look, you're not just involved with Kennards High. You are on other boards as a non-director, uh, as a, as a chairman. C- can you talk about what else you're involved with and how you got involved with those organisations? Sure. Well, look, you know. I retired from Kennards in 2009. <clears throat> I was still a young bloke, 55 years of age, so I'm really too young to retire. But um, 
you know, I wanted to go and be, I guess, more um, diversified and, and probably more independent in, in what I wanted to do. And, um, and I've been very fortunate since then. I, I was involved um, in, in a few businesses after I left Kennards. I actually had a small period of time. I, I came off the board of Kennards when I retired um, and I had a small period of time where I went on to uh, the board of Highpool in New Zealand. I think you know that company. So I had two years so helping them out as a non-exec director. Um, Kennards then asked me to come back onto their board as a non-exec. So obviously uh, I jumped at that opportunity and immediately resigned from the Highpool board. So uh, still still stay on the board of Kennards and actually chaired the board of Kennards for I think four, four or nearly five years in, in my time. Um, I chaired the board of an ASX listed property company called PropertyLink Holdings, which um, we floated about six years ago and subsequently sold about two years ago. Uh, I chair the board of Acro Formwork and Scaffolding, which is a, a ASX listed business as well in the formwork and scaffolding hire business. Uh, I'm on the board of a company called Scully RSV, which is a refrigerated van rental business. Um, I think you can see a bit of a theme here. There's a few rental and hire companies sprinkled in that. Um, I uh, what else? I'm, I uh, am on the board and did chair the board of Crime Stoppers, which is a not-for-profit. It's a, I think it's a it's a fantastic business that is really um, does a lot of work with law enforcement. You know, working on safer communities and have been involved with Crime Stoppers. I think for nearly seven or eight years now. Uh, I do some not-for-profit stuff with a couple of schools for kids that have learning sort of disabilities. So yeah, I, I've got enough stuff to keep me out of mischief, I guess. Very good. Also giving back to the community as well. So talk to me a little bit about what is the Global Rental Alliance, because I believe that you're heavily involved with this with the American Rental Association and actually getting it set up. And, and talk to me about how important do you think the these trade associations are to the industry, like the Hire and Rental Association and the American Rental Association and others out there and what they provide the industry? I've been sort of involved with the ARA for, crikey, it feels like probably 30 years, certainly before Kennard's days, but, but, but probably um, since Kennard's days, um, we've really upped the ante on our involvement with the ARA. We, we always have travelled our people over there to learn. And, I mean, you would have seen it when you were with Base Plan over there, you know, taking people to the show, to visit businesses, to look at the equipment. So, um, you know, that, that has been a great sort of forum for our company to get involved with. And um, I would think the exact date I can't see, but it would be at least 15 years ago, um, we were talking at the ARA about putting together, I guess, an association of associations, which became known as the Global Rental Alliance. And I was with the, one of the formative members of that alliance and the Australian representative. And um, in the early days, we had, I think, America, Canada, New Zealand, the UK, um, and America, obviously. And, and now they've got, you know, Japan, they've got the European Association, they've got Brazil. So it's fleshed itself out into, into more members. And really the forum is about, I guess, um, providing a forum for dialogue for the industry in an international sense. As you know, everything is becoming more global now. The issues of our industry are more global. The supplies into our industry are global. And I think it's a great way of, I guess, people 
sharing ideas, collaborating, helping each other. Um, it's been very positive. And one of the other really good programs of the Global Alliance has been the, um, the exchange program that we put together for, for young people, young people in the industry to give them a chance to travel internationally. And um, in fact, Kennard's hosted the first global exchange person, which was Peter McGuinness, who's a Mackinex guy, now working for Rory. And Pete stayed at my place and some other people's places when he was here in Australia. He was with us, I think, for nearly two months. And um, and since then, there's been, you know, a, a lot of young people that have travelled to Australia, Great Britain, Canada um, and the UK to further their education in rental. So, you know, I think it's been, been a success. Um, you talk about the association generally and... Um, you know, the HRIA, it's a, it's a remarkable organisation now. Um, it's it's a national organisation and I think that, you know, that that sort of occurred about 20 years ago, I think, and it really it really launched the HRIA on a new on a new path. And uh, and look, I think um, Kennards, again, has been very, very active in the HRIA, even though People say to me, Peter, why do you even get involved? I mean, Kennard surely is big enough to look after itself. And I say, well, look, you know, that's not the point. The point is that we need to, as as, as a leader in the industry, we need to contribute, we need to uh, show leadership, and we need to help the industry develop, improve. Um, we need to make the industry a better place. And that's that's Kennard's, I think, contribution is to help help the whole, whole industry get better. Um, we, we want we want hire to be you know a business that becomes even more important i think that um you know there's still lots of scope in in developing hire as a category of doing business and uh, so you know i'm a great believer in associations and the, and the work that associations do and then during your tenure as well when you were the the ceo at kenatai you actually won high company of the year through the hire rental association what advice would you give to other companies that are looking at trying to achieve that that goal? Winning the award in the higher session is certainly a great accolade. And um, but the ingredients that go into it, I think, are the things that make Kennards a successful business every day. Um, we have a program in Kennards called our Quality of Operations um, System. We, we we have an awards system internally that backs it up called the um, the QOM, the Quality of Awards um, uh, System. And uh, you know, to me, it's it's to aspire to to being the best. It, it's really looking after all of the basic components of the business, you know, having good people who are well-trained, having great equipment that's well-maintained and available, you know, having a great system to run your business by, having outstanding customer service, having having all those qualities um, really embedded in your business so that, um, you know, you, you're able to do a great job every day for your customer. That's, mm. uh, that's you just got to keep working at it. I mean, you know, the, the business of improving business doesn't stop. You never actually reach the the ultimate sort of if you like pinnacle you've got to you've got to continue to chip away i mean business is just getting better and more sophisticated every day and you've got to keep up with it you've got to you've got to keep improving yeah and and you mentioned continuing to improve and, and i really see Kennard's hire as one of the the innovators of the equipment rental industry like how important do you think that continuous improvement is for long-term success 
look, I, I think you've got to innovate, you've got to improve, you've got to you've got to get better and better all the time, and um, and that is definitely one of Kennard's core mantras that um, continuous improvement, getting better. You know, if you want to be the best, that's one thing, but if you want to continue to be the best, you've got to keep at it. Now, one of my previous guests on the podcast was actually Alan Besling from Hire Express. And he mentioned that you were a big influence on him on him during his career and, and he learned a lot from you. And something that stood out that I really liked was he said that you taught him that not everything needs to be win-lose. It it can be win-win. So it'd be great it'd be great for you to talk a little bit more about what that actually means. Well look, Alan, I go back a long, long way. I, I think I might have been when I was eighteen or nineteen years of age, we first crossed paths when uh, as I said, we uh, I was with GK and we bought Macro, and Al was a young a young guy in that business at the time. He's he's just another example of the really good people that we have had and, and still have got in the company. Um, and yeah, look, <laughs> Al in particular, he's he's a Dutchman, um, so he's a bit bit hard headed and uh, um, and and can be sometimes um, you know a bit too black and white, and he. Yeah, he, he loves to win, and I don't mind winners either. But sometimes you've got to uh, you've got to lose a few to win a lot. You know, you've got to give a bit to get a lot. And uh, I think that's that's you know one thing in the in the art of negotiation, in the art of getting the job done, in the art of I guess um, leadership and developing people. You sometimes got to work out you know what is the what is the best journey to go on to get the ultimate result you want. I think the first thing to to really determine is what result do you want. And then you work out the journey to get there. And it's not always just bashing your head at it and, um, you know, taking the direct route. Yeah, that's just such good advice. I, I really like that. And when you talk about the art of negotiation, like talk to me about how important the relationship is with not just your customers, but also with your suppliers. We, we talk about them as our business partners. Um, we actually... Um, we celebrate our partnership with them every couple of years. We have a, a dinner that we invite them to. We talk about the company and we, we make awards to to our suppliers, the people that help us. As, as you may or may not know, you know, in the equipment area, we don't have workshops. So we, we're relying a lot on the, the manufacturers and suppliers of our equipment to support us in the afterlife of that equipment, in the maintenance, the preventative maintenance, sometimes even in the, the after sale and the disposal. So, you know, these are important relationships. They're real relationships. I think that they're, they're respectful relationships. Um, but look, we're bloody hard negotiators as well. We, 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 crack, a, we crack a fair deal and um, we want to get looked after. But I think that, um, that you know, it, it's, it's a mutual respect that we have. Uh, tough but fair. Mm. And so, Look, you, you've been in the industry for such a long time. Like, it'd be great for you to talk through how you think the industry's changed over the last 20, 25, 30 years. Well, it certainly has changed. And look, I think we were talking about my sort of start with Kenards 25 years ago. We didn't have computers. I, I didn't have an email address. I didn't have a computer on my desk. We had no technology, right? Um, we'd just come out of writing the rental contracts on pen, pen carbon books. So, um, you know, now technology, and you, you're right in the middle of this with base plan, but 
I mean, the, the, the way you can leverage off technology and, and, and you know, take that to, to really help your business, I think is a massive change, not, not just for the equipment rental business, but for business generally. I think the equipment that we are, you know, buying today is much, much better. It's more reliable, it's safer, it's built tougher to handle rental conditions. And, um, and I think that makes a huge difference when you've got a fleet that you need to own for, for a reasonable period of time. You know, I think that the demands of our industry, uh, what customers want, um, I think they've, they've raised their requirements in terms of, you know, the, the knowledge they need from us, the, um, just, just the, the service we need to provide, the regulations you need to comply with. I mean, all, all this has been raised up the bar has been raised. To be in business today, you've got to be a much, much, much better business to be successful. So, um, but I think they're all good things. I think that um, we're now seeing the uh, the emergence of uh, what we call smart equipment, equipment with, um, you know, IoT and um, and smartness embedded in it. I mean, um, you know, we've, we've got equipment now, gives you some, we've, we've got portable toilets that tell us when they need pumping out because they've got sensors in them that tell us that. You know, we've obviously got all of the, the normal, you know, um, asset tracking type stuff. But, you know, all that is making business, I, I think, a lot more capable, a lot more sophisticated and, and offers real opportunities for our customers. So that's probably the difference. It's the innovation that's come in. Um, and with that, you've got to make sure you're upskilling your people. We've got to have, as we spoke earlier, we've got to have the best people in the business to be, handled, to be able to handle all of that. And I think when we talk about technology, I think it's moving so fast and everything's improving so much that if we want to call it the changing of the guard where the next generation is coming in, the equipment rental industry doesn't really have a choice about not adopting this technology because it's going to be expected. Oh, definitely. Look, look the younger guys and girls, they, they really expect that. I mean, technology for them is... is it's a hygiene factor now. It's what they what they expect to have, and um, so you know we, we can't avoid you know keeping on um, innovating in our business, up in the ante, improving improving the platform that the business is working from, and uh, and yeah, I think I think that's a good thing. I don't think um, I don't think there's anything to be afraid of there. I think us old guys, you know, we we've got away with it for too long. We we're um, we haven't had to embrace that to the same extent but um but now there's not a choice there really isn't and with the equipment rental industry being such a fast growing industry in itself there is a lot of new businesses out there that are starting up what, what advice would you give to someone that is looking at starting their own hiring rental business and, and, and you're right look I, I think that um australia in particular is still you know reasonably underdone with the penetration we have with equipment into the rental sort of offering. I think that, um, you know, we're certainly still way behind America in terms of what they call rental penetration. That is the amount of equipment that is used in, in construction and other, other activities that's rented as opposed to owned. We've still got quite a high ownership component. So, so the first thing is I think there's definitely space for expansion of our industry and that, that could and is meaning new entrants. And, and I think that's a good thing as well. It keeps everyone on its toes and I think it, it brings its own form of innovation into the industry. Um, the advice, and I think we've spoken about, you know, some of these things already, but the advice is all the things I understand that makes 
a first-class hiring rental business, and that is, number one, you've got to have really good people. People are your business people, their knowledge, the, their, their particular knowledge of equipment, their ability to serve and look after customers, you know, their, their own belief system and, and how they sort of fit in with yours. I think that, that people component is really important and you should not underinvest in your people. I think that's the, the first piece of advice. You know, just get out there and get the best. Um, the second thing is equipment. You know, in the, in the old days, and Andy was one of the culprits, you know, the industry used to buy a whole bunch of secondhand stuff, right? And, you know, those days are really gone now. I mean, the industry does not, does not expect anything but the best equipment and you've got to, you've got to keep your fleet modern, you've got to keep your, your fleet well-maintained. And um, so I think that obviously anyone who wants to come into the equipment or business better get that bit right, better make sure that, um, you know, that, that equipment is, uh, is really number one in, the, in their company. Um, learn how to look after customers and, um, and you know, I, I think that means, you know, if you make mistakes, say sorry and get on with it. But um, good old-fashioned customer service, I think, is a, is, a, is a really great thing in every business and particularly the higher business. Um, yeah, I think, I think the other thing is learning how to deal with the cycles. I mean, business is not always good. Sometimes business is good. Sometimes business is not so good. I think you've got to learn how to um, run your business through the cycles. And one of the one of the components is not to not to get yourself too desperately into debt. Um, too much debt when the industry turns down is a real real problem. Um, and so you know, I think just just make sure that the business is 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 adequately leveraged, not over leveraged, and. Um, I guess the final thing is, you know, being fed again with your pricing structures. I think that, you know, it's a business where it's all too easy to give it away and, you know, people need to value their assets and put a fair value on them when they're renting it. And, you know, the, the absolute triple whammy you can have in this industry is when A, you've got too much debt, B, when the industry turns down and you have those couple of bad years in a row like we have from time to time. And the third thing is when you follow that up with stupid sort of pricing, all those things lead to disaster, and we've seen that a couple of times in our industry. So, um, yeah, that would be the sort of guidance that I would give um, new people coming in. You know, watch those fundamentals. Yeah, that, that's some great advice, and hopefully people can get something out of that and sort of help them in the future. So leading on with more advice, discounting is a big problem in the equipment rental industry. It some companies are known for sort of dropping their rates to win deals and whatnot. But can you talk me through what the negative effects are of discounting in the equipment rental industry? Well, the negative aspects of I think when you get into the discounting spiral, it's hard. You know, it's so easy to, if you like, talk your rates down. It's really, really difficult to get your rates back up again. So once you get into a habit or a cycle or an attitude of discounting, that's what the customers remember and that's that will it'll, it'll hang you out to dry in the long term and to me it's, it's understanding the dynamics between you know the amount of time you're renting it for and the price you're renting it for okay and you know you just and particularly on short-term rental like for for daily hire a couple of days high you know, i don't know how you can even afford to discount much you know the cost of the transaction alone is, is all buried in the in the high rate and um so look, I, I would really encourage people, and look, far from me to say, hey, this is the price you should charge and 
that's what you should should do. I mean, every every operator can work that out for himself. But you know, it's really being true to yourself and saying, look, I value my business, I value my equipment, I value the service I'm giving, and I think that the customers should value it as well. And be proud and charge a fair price. That's the that's the real sort of um, story there, really. Yeah, and look, I think and the industry owns Kennards is we stick to our guns. We we are not known for carving up rates and um, and that's that's all of our people know that. We we believe that our rates are fair. So why why chop the legs off them? And I think if you are discounting your rental rates, like eventually that's gonna have a flow on effect to the service levels that you are providing your customers. The cost of doing business in rental is significant, right? And that to do it well, it's significant. So you're right. If you start um, devaluing your your pricing, something's going to give. You're either not going to look after your equipment properly. You're not going to replace it when you should replace it. You're not going to train your people that should be trained. You're going to have substandard sort of things going on in your business everywhere if you don't get the proper price for your equipment. It's pretty fundamental. Now, a lot of people have classed you as a mentor or a big influence on their career, who are some people or somebody that you flagged as a mentor or someone that's really influenced your career? Oh, look, there's, there's really two standouts and, um, and they're both <laughs> probably the, the pioneering guys of the industry in Australia. The first one was Barry McDonald and Barry was the owner of Macbro Hire and we brought Macbro into GKN and, um, and Barry and Andy and Nev Kennard, uh, the Kennards on one side, Macro on the other. They were really the the main sort of guys in 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 Sydney. If you go back 25, 30 years. And anyway, when we bought Macro, Barry was very generous with his time for me. He didn't he didn't start my work in the business, but he certainly made sure as a young young guy that I got the benefit of his wisdom. And I I really um, took up that opportunity. I asked him a lot of questions. There probably wouldn't be a, a week went by when um, I wouldn't have a session with him and go through stuff, looking at reports, talking about the business. He, he was great. He was generous. And I really respect the help that he gave me. We're probably now going back 35 years. Okay. Then obviously Andy and, um, you know, we've had, a, we've had a great relationship for 25 years. Um, he brought me into his company. He then gave me the reins. As I said in the early days, he didn't uh, he didn't let me get too far in front of myself. But um, you know, he 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 has and still is a great a great guy to talk to. He still has great ideas, and uh, and I respect him gratefully for for the privilege he's given me to run his business, but also for the mentorship and the the assistance he's given me. You know, really every inch of the way. All right. Well. My final question I have, I like to ask everyone this question, is how do you define success and what do you think was a defining moment for you? Defining success. Uh, I guess the first thing that I would define as success is having a people full of great people, having a company, sorry, full of great people, and we've spoken about that. And, and to me, they're people that are really, really engaged in what you're doing as a business. They're bought in. They believe in the vision. They, they really ascribe to the values of the company. It's the people that make the business that make the success. So I think 
you, if you're looking through the looking glass into a company, you see great people, I think you'll see a successful company. The second thing is that um, I think it's about your customers and I think you really, success looks like when customers are telling others how great a job you've done for them. So, you know, I call them raving fans where, you know, they're, they're your strong advocates. I mean, it beats the heck out of having to go on, you know, spend a lot of money on marketing and advertising and everything else when your customers are telling people how good a job you do and how good a company you are. So, so to me, customers will, they, they, they tell you if you're successful, right? And I guess that the third thing is, um, is really having a, a business model that is sustainable. So building a, a company for the long term and, you know, not, not just, you know, building it for the here and now and uh, making sure that, you know, you're dealing with the issues of, of, of the business through good times and bad times. Um, yeah, sustainability to me in business is a, is a pretty important thing. Making your business rock of ages, that to me is success. Very nice. And the second part of the question was, what was the defining moment? Oh, I probably only had one. Well, I've had a few defining moments, but my most defining moment was when my heart stopped about seven years ago and I had a cardiac arrest and um, and I was very, uh, I was, I'd say, within seconds of dying. And um, anyway, the, my, my wife kept me alive uh, for 30 minutes and until the ambulance came and 30 hits with the, um, the defibrillator and, um, yep, yeah, I, uh, I survived a massive, unexpected heart attack brought upon by electrical malfunction in my heart. I now have an onboard defibrillator, which um, is an ICU, uh, ICD device, an implanted cardiac device, and um, that keeps me ticking away. But that was a pretty defining moment when you're alive one day and dead the next. So, uh, But I've got to say as well, look, there's no doubt my... my 1994, getting involved with the Kennards group, the Kennards family, 25 years ago, that that was you know, a real, really part of, if you like, changing my career, changing my life, changing my um, my whole sort of outlook on on the higher industry, the higher business. It, it, it's been a great opportunity and um, and and very much a defining moment as well. Wow, that must have been a very traumatic experience for you and your family and. and- yeah, you're very, very lucky to still be around. Look, I'm, I'm one of those very, very fortunate. It's, it's quite a low statistic. The people who have have that sort of problem, I think, you know, probably less than 10% survive. Um, and it was really the uh, the fantastic work my wife did just, you know, pump, pumping me hard until the ambulance guys came. So, um, yeah. And, and funny enough, I'm, I'm getting involved. I, I don't know, you, the, the yellow wheel, Greg Page, you know, he had a cardiac arrest about, nine months ago and uh, anyway he started doing some work and I'm going to help him to try and um, promote um, you know I guess the the opportunity for more defibrillation devices being put in shopping centers and you know that they should be more readily available to people because if you get if you get help to the person who's had the cardiac arrest quickly you can save a lot more of them so uh, we're going to get involved in that that's a great cause that you're you're trying to get involved with as well All right, Peter. Well, that wraps up our discussion. I really thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Okay. Good on you. Thanks for that. Please share, follow, and like the Rental Journal podcast. I hope to see everyone in next week's episode.